Welcome to another episode of the Friday Film Club. Uh, my guest this week is a producer and one of the people behind Filmcoin, uh, which is a brand new cryptocurrency to finance motion pictures. And don't worry, I also have absolutely no idea what that is. So we're going to find out. Uh, welcome to the show, Terry Stone. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, look, I didn't actually know anything about crypto um, eight months ago. So <laughs> I'm, a I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fast adopter when it comes to um, things that I think can sort of obviously benefit what I'm doing, you know, at the moment. So, uh, yeah, that, that's why I sort of got involved in it. And, uh, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, we've we've looked at... It, it all came about just by somebody saying to me, have you ever thought of um, using NFTs to fund a film, you know? So I was sort of like, what's an NFT? And they said, oh, it's a non-fungible token. And I said, what's that? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and then I did a bit of research into it. And what I sort of cottoned onto pretty quickly was that... A lot of music artists and a lot of um, artists, you know, people like Damien Hurst, people like Banksy, were just literally saying, well, you know, there's no point doing this artwork, putting it in a gallery, and the gallery's taking 50%. Or as a music artist, I'm creating an album and then, you know, giving it away on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. So I think that there was a little bit of a movement in, in, in the art and the music worlds of people saying, well, we want to sort of take back control. We want to you know, we don't keep giving away stuff for free, essentially. And um, that's really kind of what made me think, well, how would this potentially work for, for the film industry? And and obviously with the film industry, you, you, you have to rely on somebody to help you sell your film. You have to rely on somebody, you know, to account to you, uh, promote the film for you, release it on the right date. And look, you can have the best film in the world. And if it's not, and if it's on the wrong day or another film comes out and they spend more money than you, then obviously it, it, it puts you at a massive disadvantage. And as an independent producer, a lot of um, the stuff I make isn't on a hundred million pound budget. So when I, you know, do go and sell it to a streamer or a broadcaster, obviously they won't pay me as much as their pay for a big Hollywood studio. But the, the, the economics are still the same. Like, you know, they still give out. The, the the film to their you know if it's here it's a it's, it's just over 12 million if it's worldwide it's 220 million but you know we don't get paid per click or per view it's just literally a fee and that's it so i thought there's got to be a way of you know using crypto digital assets to help the film industry um so we developed a film called tales from a trap which is essentially blue story meets top boy it's that kind of genre it's, it's sort of based in the UK rap scene. It's about the sort of organised crime in, in those communities. And, we, yeah, we're in a we're in a, a, a sort of... We're, we're sort of creating history because nobody's done what we've, we've done. I know Anthony Hopkins recently, the, the producer on the film that he recently done, did some NFTs from it to... You know, because they thought, obviously, you know, people would want to buy an NFT of an Oscar-winning actor, but... I think the thing they missed and, and what a lot of people in Hollywood are missing at the moment, they're all going, oh, you know, we're going to use NFTs to fund their films. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But unless you're already a brand, you know, if you're Spider-Man or Star Wars, you know, you've got, you've got like, you know, characters, people know mm. you've got a fan base. So to say to them, look guys, we're going to make a thousand images of Yoda, you know, with all these different, you know, iterations. So there's a Yoda with, a bikini on there's a there's a yoda with a pair of shorts on there's a yoda with a funny hat on with some silly glasses on yeah you can just create these and people go yeah actually you know i like star wars i want to buy one of a thousand images of yoda as an nft so i get that would work but 
I think everybody's just assuming that people are going to buy NFTs mm. of, of films that they don't even know about or characters they don't even know about. So what we what we've essentially created is we've created what what, what could easily be franchisable in in film and television in this world. I mean, you know, just like what Fifty Cent's done with that power universe. You know, we're mm. doing the same thing here. You know, we, you know, it's, it, it's just a different genre. It's just different stories, but it's essentially the same thing. Mm. So. You know, this will appeal to people in America, appeal to people in the UK. It probably appeals to people all around the world. So we just thought we could make some really cool characters out of this um, subject matter. And obviously all the people that like this are all 15 to 30 year olds. So they're all young. They're all, you know, into NFTs. They're all into crypto. And then that's really where Filmcoin come because we started saying, well, you know, why don't we, why don't we do, do, a, do a cryptocurrency and link the cryptocurrency to the NFTs, to the content that we're making? So nobody's ever done what we're doing. We haven't actually really done anything yet. You know, we've, we've launched a coin. We've done a few competitions, building up a community. But when we actually launch our NFT platform at the end of May, we do our first drop and then we go into production on the film. That's when this all becomes super real. And, um, at the moment, you know, there's lots of people saying, oh, I'm going to set up a, a coin that does film stuff and I'm going to set up a, a thing to, 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 you know, help independent film. Or I'm going to set up a thing to help Hollywood. But I think the reality is, unless you've got all the, you know, obviously Hollywood doesn't want to uh, disrupt itself. The streamers don't want to disrupt themselves. Mm. Um, so so obviously what we're doing really is, is a proof of concept that there is other ways of getting films funded, released, distributed, made, and obviously, because it's all on the blockchain, it's all transparent. So for a million people watch that film, everybody gets paid in real time. There's no six months wait for a statement. There's no, yeah, how many how many people have downloaded this? We don't actually know. We're, we're relying on a, a statement from a distributor. So I think what it what, what, what it also does, it takes away any ambiguity. And, you know, you take away a lot of these kind of third-party aggregators. So, you you know, you, you once we've built this up and we've done it, you won't need a sales company to sell your film you won't need to go into a cinema you you know a lot, lots of people now um especially since covid have, have um got yeah like doing stuff on their phones you know that I, I always used to see people watching films or tv shows on their phone and think like what are you doing watch it in the cinema but but now you know you everywhere you go everyone's watching their phone so yeah i think the the younger people have, have essentially been normalized. That's a normal thing. Watch it on your phone, watch it on your iPad, watch it on your computer. You know, you say to my, I've got three kids, you know, you say to them, do you want to go to the cinema? And they're like, oh, really? You know, they might go once a year if Spider-Man's on or, you know, Frozen's on or, you know, there's an animation. But mm. I used to go to the cinema three times a week. I couldn't get enough of it. I'd be literally like going, begging to go to, sorry, I'm just going to show you the door begging to go um, to the cinema and, um, you know, I, I would have done anything to get the money to that cinema. So a lot of the young people now, you know, they'll be sitting there watching something on their phone, they'll be watching something on their iPad and then they'll be calling somebody. Mm. So they're doing like, all these things. And it's to me, it's just insane. So I had, how do you actually focus on any of this stuff, you know? So I think how that helps us is obviously if we've got a product that you can only get from us and that you can get it straight to your phone, straight to your iPad, straight to your computer, straight to your television, that will basically, if you want to watch it, you know, we can deliver it to you. And, and there's no, you have to go to the cinema, you have to subscribe to any platform. And that really is is what we're, we're looking to achieve with Filmcoin, with our NFT platform and with everything that we're going to do in this space. I mean, that's that's amazing. And um, I can't really begin to, to think about how that's going to sort of change 
the film landscape, but surely um, if this takes off, there's going to be huge impacts on um, mm. how films are not just financed, but how they're, how they're made and how they're distributed. We're making a little film, you know, we're making a low budget, small British film. So we, if this does what we expected to do, you know, the question then will be, well, if you could do that with a small British film, what could you do with a big Hollywood film? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So what we're doing, although we're starting off as an independent, is we're not doing it because we want to make small movies or low budget films. We're doing it because we want to, we think that we've, we've hit something big here. And we think that just like the streamers disrupted, Hollywood disrupted the cinemas. I mean, if you look at what's happening now, everything's getting disrupted again. You know, the cinemas, um, and now struggling, you know, the, you know, if you look at Cineworld as an example, you know, they were buying a cinema chain in America and they pulled out of it because of COVID. Mm. Um, they've now got to find 1.2 billion because uh, they lost their court case. You know, they, they borrowed another 400 million recently to keep themselves going. Um, they've already in 6 billion in debt. So, you know, as a business, you know, it's obviously not working. And um, the problem, if you, if you own the cinema is, I think if you have something like the Everyman, where you go there, you have a bottle of wine, you have a meal, you know, mm. you sit there with your wife or with with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend or with your friends or whatever, I think at that point, you know, it's a nice way to get to cinema. It's more of an event. So I think yeah. that's what cinema will become. You, you'll go to an IMAX to watch an immersive film or a Hollywood blockbuster, but I just think, I think people's viewing habits are going to change. And I think if you look at a lot of the streaming platforms now, they've obviously tried to take on Hollywood and they keep spending more and more money on productions to try and keep up in the ante. And I think essentially what was, for me, what the magic of Netflix was, was there was stuff on there that Hollywood wouldn't make. There was stuff on there that was controversial or stuff on there that was um, um, edgy, you know? And, um, you know, and I think obviously Hollywood's, for me, yeah, they, they announced the other day that, you know, they're going to spend 300 million on the new... Tom Cruise film. I remember when, you know, they started making hundred million pound budgets and people was like, how can you spend a hundred million on a film? Then it was 150, then it was 200, then it was 250, now it's 300 million. I mean, yeah. why do you need to spend 300 million making a film? I understand that blowing up things and making things, you know, exciting and entertaining. And obviously if you've got A-list actors, they want paying, but there's got to be a, a limit where it just becomes yeah, ridiculous. And I'm, my prediction yeah. is that in a minute, they're going to have to stop doing this and they're going to have to look at cheaper ways of doing what they're doing. And unfortunately, because they just keep paying more and more and more and hope, and they're all trying to outdo each other. It's sort of like, you know, in the old days, if, if there was a good film or there was a good subject matter, you know, people would watch it. And, um, you know, I think, you know, people say that kids now have got um, ADHD. They can't sit and watch a film for three hours because unless there's all explosions and things, you know, going on because they lose, lose interest. But I think, you know, you can make a, a film that's entertaining. Um, I mean, you know, we, we um, recently released a film that I played sort of the lead role in uh, with Vinnie Jones and Keith Allen, which was um, um, The Rise of the Foot Soldier Origins. And that film, it went out on 280 cinemas. It was massive on PVOD. Amazon had just bought it for a load of money. Hulu are coming in the US, they want to buy it. So, you know, it just shows that, you know, you don't need to spend massive money to make a good film and to get people engaged. And, you know, the UK distributor said that, you know, out of all of the films that they've released, no film has performed like this one. So yeah. it just goes to show if you make the right film, 
for the right audience, you know, you don't need to spend a lot of money on it. Now, obviously, if you if you've got Martin Scorsese directing it, and you've got Brad Pitt in it, obviously that changes. But even so, you know, I definitely think if if people know that they can create content, they can speak directly to their audience or to their fans, and then they get paid in real time, mm. and they can see it in black and white. There's no, you know, it's it, the, you know, the, you can, there's nobody saying, well, I've I've got all these expenses and costs. It's like that's what's been sold. There's the money. The investors or the people that put put the money in, whether it's film corn, whether it was an investor, whatever, they can get their money back, obviously, and they can see it on the blockchain. And then the creatives, the directors, the writers, the producers, the actors, they're getting paid in real time as well. So, you know, there's no need for statements. There's no need for invoicing. I mean, it kind of makes everything simple. And I think that is, if you look at everything, why does, does everyone like the iPhone? because it makes everything simple, you know? Mm. So I think if you can simplify what you're doing and um, still deliver stuff that people want to watch. And also the beautiful thing about what we're doing, we don't have any sensors, right? So if somebody wants to make a film, if, if you went to Hollywood, you went to a streaming platform, you went to a broadcast and said, this is a film I want to make. If they read it, it's got to go through a process. And if in the process, somebody doesn't like it because they think somebody's going to be upset by it or, you know, there's there's something in the film that they think is controversial or there's a story that they don't particularly like. I mean, you know, everyone's sort of worried about, you know, being cancelled so or offending different communities. Now, in the old days, a film would go out and the whole point of a film was it told a story and it was truthful. And if the story was controversial or if it was harrowing or if it was something that was, you know, fucked up, I mean, that Human Centipede was a great example you know, the first Saw film where there's a serial killer going around just murdering people. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it didn't really have a story, did it? It was just a guy coming around murdering and torturing people. Yeah. But everyone loved it. Everyone went, yeah. this is mad, right? But but what did they do? They all talked about it, right? And um and, and I think that's that's really what what's been lost. In, in, you know, everyone's worrying about well, should we do this? You know, is it diverse enough? And you know, it's got to the point now where a friend of mine recently directed that film. He's an Oscar-winning director, right? And he's, he's an Israeli director and he's making a movie about Golda Meir. And Helen Mirren is an Oscar winner. He wanted her to play Golda Meir. So, yeah, it caused outrage because Helen Mirren's not Jewish. And uh, Maureen Lippman came out and said, you know, this is outrageous. You know, you're not Jewish. How can you play a Jewish person? And then Helen Mirren's comeback was like, look, you're Jewish. Right, but you play non-Jewish characters. So, do you think that you shouldn't have played any non-Jewish characters? You don't play yeah. Jewish characters. I mean, it's actually stupid, right? I, I think obviously, if if people are um, doing things that are controversial, like you can't have a white person playing an Indian or, or a black person or, or vice versa, mm. right? But if 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 the whole point of acting is that you play a character, you become a a thing. And and you know, for for me, it, it should be the the best person for the job. You know, look at My Left Foot with Daniel Day-Lewis. You know, that mm -hmm. was probably one of the best films. That won him an Oscar, right? Can you imagine somebody today playing, you know, somebody that was disabled? People would be saying, you know, it's, it's, it's outrageous. You should have a disabled actor playing it. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's the world we live in. And um, I think everybody's sort of become oversensitised. And where people are oversensitised, there's a lot of boxes that have to be ticked before someone will actually say, yes, we'll make this film. But then what that does is it strips away the creativity. You end up, mm. you know, making a film that isn't what you, the writer's written or what the director wants or what the actors wants. It's what, so it's, it's, it's like you're 
filmmaking by committee. And, you know, look, you know, sometimes committees work, sometimes they don't. But um, there's been quite a lot of people talking about this and saying, I mean, Elon Musk about the other day and he was saying the problem with a lot of people, you know, at the moment is they've got the woke mind virus. And, um, you know, some people like this woke sort of agenda and, and other people don't like it. So I, I just look at it from a, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 51. So obviously I'm what people would probably call an old fossil, but I, I look at it and I do think there's more important things to worry about in the world. And, and I think, you know, you have to be respectful to, you know, other people's, you know, rights and you have to do things in a tasteful manner. But if you go through life, you can't go through life, not upsetting somebody, you know, somebody will always have an opinion or say something that somebody doesn't like. So there is no such thing as walk. And I, and I think that's also one of the main causes of mental health issues with a lot of these um, younger people. You know, you, you know, in, in the schools now, there's a lot of people suffering from depression, they're self-harming. And you're like, why are kids doing this, right? And it's because, you know, they're looking on social media and everyone's having a good time. They're being told they can't say this, they can't do this, they can't do that. So they're all walking around eggshells thinking, well, what do I do it? You know, should I... And, they, and it's not they can't have an opinion. Mm. They can't have a voice. It's like they're being told, this is what you have to say. This is how you have to behave. And, you know, obviously, it's, you know, kids need to be kids. They need to grow up and, uh, you know, have uh, have their children. Instead, it seems that there's this sort of, you know, constant... It's like you pick the paper up or you turn the TV on. There's nothing happy on there, is there? It's like mm. every day there's, you know, where we... You know, if we're not going to die of COVID, we're going to get nuked by Putin. You know what I mean? It's just like, there's no, there's no good news. You know, where's the good news? Where's the like? You know, yeah, this is, yeah. Let's have some fun. It's just like every time you t- turn the news on and read the paper, it's like, you know, you either worry you're going to die of COVID or you're going to get nuked by Putin. So it's, to me, it's just like, I, I, I know the the papers are meant to give you news, but I mean, I, I would like a little bit of good news. You know, <laughs> the constant bad news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, I think what you're doing with Filmcoin and and uh, everything you've said is, is is spot on about the industry. And I think you're certainly you're establishing a path for, for change, which is amazing. So I, I hope it all works out. But uh, let's dive into some of the questions, and we'll we'll, we'll talk yeah, more sure. about um, uh, tales from the. Well, your memory's just gone. Tales from the trap um, in just a yeah. minute. But I'm interested to now to find out a little bit more about your favourite films. So, what's your favourite film of all time? Um, when you say, are you talking about genre or are you talking about an actual specific movie? Um, a specific movie. See, that's I can't answer that question because <laughs> there's too many there's too many good um, films been made, you know. And uh, if you look back, you know, people always say, um, you know, what's the greatest gangster film of all time? And, and there isn't one, right? Mm. But um, I think The Godfather 1 and 2 was good, but not the third one. I think Scarface was great. You know, Kalita's Way was great. Goodfellas was great. Casino was great. Um, Shawshank Redemption was great. Um, Jaws was great. You know, there's probably <laughs> there's probably 50 films, right? That, and, and the thing is, yeah, they're all different. So it's, yeah. it's a bit like, you know, if I, yeah, if I'm if I'm making a film and I speak to somebody and they say, oh, you know, what was your last film? And you say that and they go, oh, wow, you know, that was good. You know, I want to get involved with this one. It's like, well, great, but this one isn't that one, right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a different thing. But I think, you know, over, over I'd, I'd say from like the, 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 the late 70s up to today, I mean, and obviously, you know, there's some great movies. I mean, The, the Fast and the Furious, I, I wasn't sure about the last one. I thought it was a bit mad, but... Um, uh, I thought the some of the previous ones, you know, where you had uh, Statham, The Rock, 
um, mm-hmm. and Vin Diesel together. I thought that the, I think it was the seventh one. That was probably the best one in the series. But you know, they're they're, uh, they're that's a great franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I have a favourite film. Um, I'd say favourite films with an S on the end. You know. So. Yeah, I uh, think um, the, the, there's a definite trend in the, the kind of films that you picked out there. And I have to say, I'm not. I'm, oh, I'm, I've also got to add in Shrek as well. Oh, of course, everyone loves Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> and Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that goes without saying. Yeah. yeah, no. Do you know what? Um, I'm not. I'm not a massive fan. Oh, I say I'm not a massive fan. I, I wouldn't kind of default to sort of gangster films, but The Godfather is is a masterpiece, and I love Bugsy as well, mm. and Casino actually. Everything you've reeled off, I'm like, yeah, actually, tremendous film. So yeah, but um, I can't. Yeah, say... I mean, I, I grew up. I grew up on on watching you know true crime films. Um, and I don't know what what even attracted me to the genre, but I think when you um, when you do these things, you know, um, and you get into films, you know, you watch something. And I, I and I think somebody said to me, um, "Have you seen Scarface?" And I was like, "No, what's that?" And then when I watched that, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then obviously with Al Pacino, um, it was like, "Right, we've got Al Pacino here. So uh, what else has he done?" And then it's like, "Oh wow, he's done this. He's done this. He's done that." Yeah, Kalito's way come out. I want to see that. You know, so. I think you, you know, with with uh, Goodfellas, you know, you, De Niro mm. and Pesky, you know, I always say, so what are they in? You know, mm-hmm. so I think as a sort of film fan, you know, if you watch a film and then, you you know, you like it, and you look at the director, you look at the actors, and then you see what other films they've got, and then you mm. end up following them, you know, and that's uh, obviously why these actors and these directors command so much money, because they're good at what they do, and uh, people have sort of grown to love them for over, you know, three or four decades. Yeah, and I would say that for anyone that's not, massively doesn't have a, a really advanced sort of technical knowledge of film if you want to appreciate what a cinematographer does watch that opening scene in um goodfellas uh, i think is it goodfellas where it's just it's that constant shot that goes through the kitchen yeah through the, when they the go in the kitchen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 just the the work that, that goes into something that looks quite simple is astonishing like and yeah. that to me always sticks out like that's that's an incredible shot yeah yeah Let's let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. What's your least favourite films? I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I, I I do get to the point sometimes when I put a film on and I and I do actually sort of think, well, you know, why would anybody make this? And uh, and I'm tr- and I'm trying to think of uh, of a film that I saw. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to to pick one because I think because they're so bad, you kind of. Want to forget them? <laughs> um, so I, I don't think I could pull one out of the woodwork. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, let me just uh, cheat here, and I'm going to Google worst film of all time. <laughs> I'll see if I. Uh, right, okay, here we go. So we got a list of films that are. I'm just having a look down this list because. Oh, here we go. Let's have a look. The, the, yeah, see, some of these films in here I actually think are really good. Right, so. You know, like, how can they say that Howard the Duck wasn't great? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, Battlefield Earth, that was definitely one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fr- Freddy Got Fingered, I didn't see that, but the title probably uh, is, it, it tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Um, Sex Lives of the Potato Man, that was definitely terrible. <laughs> there, was, there was actually a film that I watched which had uh what's his name in it uh Mackenzie crook and it mm. was about it was about this you know tube driver who basically 
kill people, you know, accidentally, and then Adam, Adam was all depressed about it. And it was meant to be a comedy, and it was sort of like, I remember someone saying to me, oh, there's, there's this new comedy coming out of Mackenzie Crook about this tube driver who kills people, and then he gets depressed and he's all upset. And I was like, who wants to watch that? What's funny about it? You know I mean, I just didn't get it. Uh, I'm actually going to I'm actually going to tell you what what it's called um, because I think that's probably up there with probably yeah I mean if you was uh, you know I love Mackenzie Crook I think he's an amazing actor but I'm I'm going to tell you what this uh, this this film's called and I and I, and I, I will guarantee you you will say yeah I I saw that or I didn't see it um, or I don't want to see it but he's been in some amazing f- films and I, I you know massive fan of his but. Um, yeah, so so sex lives of the potato man. <laughs> he was in that as well, um, and uh, yeah, I can't I can't find this uh, this thing. But it was it you know somebody will probably say I remember what it is and 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 you know throw it out. But um, yeah, I'm sure someone yeah, speaks speaks for itself that you can't find the tile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not uh, it's definitely not worth watching. So. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, I'll, I'll try and dig out what the title of that film is, and uh, if we can, yeah. if we can link to it on uh, in the show notes, I, I, I will do just that. <laughs> right. So, uh, which film or TV character do you most relate to? Uh, which film or TV character? I'm just trying to think. Free and Out. That film was called. Oh, well, the Mackenzie Crook one. Yeah, Free and Out. Yeah, yeah. But that was just my personal opinion. You know, look, there's, I'm sure there's people that's, that thought it was great, but. Um, I, I always struggle with, um, uh, you know, the, I, I think films are subjective things. Some people say that film's the best film ever made. Some people hate it, you know, so mm. uh, what do I know? But I'd say, um, I'm trying, that's, that's such a, a hard question. Which film or characters you? I'd probably say um, Ian Beale from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> Hands down, the best answer I've ever had for that question. <laughs> um, no, because because I think uh, yeah I think I think it's I don't know I suppose I suppose Ray Winston would probably be um, the one for me because obviously I grew up with Ray Winston watching him as an actor and thinking wow you know he's a great actor Bob Hoskins was the same really but um, mm-hmm. I've, I think I'm probably I'd probably say I've I've, I've only met Ray once and uh, we didn't really you know hang out it was just at an event and it was like hello blah 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 blah, blah and all that. But he seemed like a really nice guy. I've seen very funny. I've met his daughter loads of times. Jamie Lois was in a movie we made. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'd probably say him, to be honest. Yeah, but I probably got more in, you know, if, if, if you say who who is like you, I'd probably say him. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm not a West Ham fan. So if you took the West Ham bit out, then <laughs> that, that'd be all right. Yeah. Noted, noted. Uh, so what, what's been your sort of path and into film, like what 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 got you where you are now? Oh, you know, I started off. Somebody offered me a part in a movie. You know, I started off as an actor. Did you know a year of doing auditions and stuff, and then after a year of it, I just thought actually I want to want to be in a movie, um, and um, uh, or be in the movies rather than you know movie. And uh, you know, I, I just thought you know a friend of mine said, oh, what well, you know, what used to put on these big dance music events? Why don't you? Uh, you make your own film and that's kind of how it went. So, you know, that's what got me into producing. I think to date, as an actor, I've done 33 jobs um, from, you know, EastEnders to Bill to, you know, Rise of the Foot Soldier to Once Upon a Time in London to different movies. And as a producer, I've, I've produced like 30 movies. So, 
you know, I've I've had quite a varied career. I've had a lot of a lot of fun along the way. I've had lots of ups and downs, just probably like everybody in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one of the main things you have to realise is lots of people say no, lots of people say you can't do stuff, lots of people slag you off. It's it's very sort of childish, bitchy, and lots of people turn their nose up at you, you know, because you know, unless you I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I'd, I'd say it's definitely clicky. You know, if you, uh, you know, if you're if you're a working class person like I am, and you're, you know, going into a world which is quite sort of, um, you know, especially in the in the upper parts of the theatre and stuff. You know, it's it's obviously, you know, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, that it's it's sort of it's weird. Like, you know, the theatre looks down its noses, you know, a lot of TV and film and mm-hmm. a lot of people in TV and film aspire to make it in the theatre. Some some actors have made it, obviously, and directors and writers have made it in both, all three, you know, they've made it in TV, film and, and, and theatre. But in the old days, it was sort of like you you had to do the theatre before you could do TV or film. Mm-hmm. And if you was good in the theatre, then, you know, you was guaranteed uh, a career in TV and film. And um, nobody actually wanted to be in TV you know, everybody used to look at TV and go, I ain't doing TV, you know, that's mm. where all the all the, all the low life go. The movies were like, you know, the big thing. But then what, what sort of happened was obviously TV then started spending more money. They started getting better writers, mm. um, you know, and they started making these amazing like series. And that's obviously where the binging box sets come from. Yeah. And then in a weird sort of way now, all the people in, in film want to be in TV, you know, mm. so which is funny, you know, because you, you sort of, uh, you, you look back on it and you just think, wow, you know, all the people that I know all wanted to, all, you know, always like desperate yeah. to be uh, in film. And now it's the other way around. They're not, they, they, they kind of want to be in film, but, you know, they the only film they want to be in is Spider-Man or Harry <laughs> Potter. They don't really want to do low budget films. They'd rather do, a, you know, 10 episodes of Peaky Blinders or 10 episodes of Ozark, you know, which is, yeah. uh, which is great. So, so the dynamics have changed. The theatre is still highly thought of, and, and and you know you have some of the best actors, you know, in the world in the theatre, um, without a doubt. And um, so I think the theatre's always remained the same, um, but I think the TV is the the big thing now. And then obviously, mm. if you do film, you only really want to do big films. You don't want to be the guy that pops up in small films. But um, for, for for me, I've I've always wanted to do a a big TV series. Um, I've actually got a few I've developed, and I'm I'm in talks with people about them now. So. I think you know something will happen in that space in in, in due course, but with, with everything I do, you know I'm on my path and I'm doing what I'm doing, and uh, you know things happen when they happen. So, you know I don't care whether I get an audition, I don't care whether I get a part. You know I'm mm. I'm busy doing my own stuff. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm I'm a kind quite unusual in that respect. Is you know if you meet a lot of actors, they they're, they're waiting for the phone to ring and they're always chasing the next part, and I think. That's what, you know, I, I turned down lots of stuff because, you know, people, you know, offer you things that you just don't want to do, you know, and, and, and obviously after, you know, if, if once upon a time in London, I had the co-leading that and that went worldwide on Netflix, Foot Soldier Origins, massive success. So mm. I played big roles in both those films. So as an actor, if someone brings me up and says, oh, do you want to, do you want to pop on this film and just call someone a mug or beat someone up? It's like, no, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not for me, you know what I mean? So... Um, I'd rather sit and wait, you know, and, uh, you know, sort of choose what I'm doing. Because as I said, I'm busy with all the other stuff, you know, and there's only so many hours in a day, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think it's um, it's a good life lesson for anyone wanting to get into the media is to have a good 
a good sense of self and to know what you want to do. Which well, is, you've also good. you've also got to have, have other other options. You know, yeah. if all you do, lots of people say, "I don't ever have a B plan. I only have an A plan," and that's great. But you know, there's there's millions of actors that have had that view, and you know, they've done two or three years after they've been at drama school and they've not got a job and they've just given up mm. because you know you can't live on fresh air. And unless you've got a rich mummy or daddy giving you money, uh, most people have to work. So, mm. you know, for me, it was sort of like, you know, I like this industry, I work in this industry. So everything I do that's in this industry keeps me in it. So I don't mm. care if I'm producing, if I'm writing, if I'm developing, if I'm financing, if I'm acting, if I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm, 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 I'm in the industry. So for me, look at uh, Jim Brown, uh, Doc Cotton. I worked, when I did my first job on EastEnders, I had the pleasure of meeting her and she was a lovely lady and like so bright and, you know, and I, I looked at her then and I think she was, she must've been in her seventies then. And, uh, you know, I was like, how do you do this? You come on set and you're, you know, just reading out all this dialogue. You know, if I was in the seventies, I wouldn't want to be doing this. And she said, do you know what? She said, um, she said, do you know what my first big, big break was? And I said, what? And she said, EastEnders. And I said, really? She, I said, oh, I was young enough. And I think, and I, I could be wrong here, but I think she got it when she was like either early 60s or late 50s, right? So she, and I said, so what do you do for the 40 years prior to that? And she said, oh, well, you know, I did a bit of The Bill, I did a bit of Coronation Street, mm. I pop up in an advert, I do a voiceover, I do a bit of theatre. So all her life, she's just been this jobbing actress, just bumming around, bumming around, probably d doing a few sort of jobs on the side just to keep alive. And then when she sort of hit 58, 59, she, she hit something and then she started earning good money. But mm. she that just shows you that there is no... And that's the beautiful thing about acting. There's no time. You know, your time is when it comes. If you, if, mm. But if you're not in it, you can't win it. So, you know, my advice to any actor is if, if, you, if you really want to do it, don't give up. You know, find something else to do in the business. There's hundreds of jobs, you know, from running to producing to working in a post-production facility... Yeah, there's so many things, and if and if you can't do that, go and do some sales. You know, do yeah. a sales job, and you can, you know, if if you're an actor, you want to sell yourself anyway. So if if, if you can't sell, then you, you're not really going to be an actor, are you? So I yeah. think that's probably the best job, and it's something you can jump in and out of. You know, so that's that's kind of you know what what I would say. Yeah, sound advice. And if if your life was ever to be turned into a movie. Or, or indeed a TV series nowadays, yeah. um, who will play you? Well, the, the irony is I did write a book called King of Clubs and it was it was over 15 years of me sort of running clubs all around the world and being one of the biggest club promoters in the world. Mm. So obviously, you know, I I can't play myself because I'm too old now, but I, it was it was in my in my 20s. So, you know, I think someone like Jack O'Connell, um, I mean, he might be too old now, but... I, I I thought I think he's a great actor. So I think if he, if if he was going to play me when I was in my twenties, I think that would be a good shout. But you know, there's Joe Cole. I mean, there's hundreds of great actors in their early twenties that could could play play me in the uh, in my sort of club days. So that you know, that's that's actually what we're talking to the broadcasters about now. Uh, Can Clubs TV series. So watch this space. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I look forward to that. Um, yeah, keep you posted as well. It sounds like it'd be a great series. Um, but moving on, uh, what is your most nostalgic film? Um, I actually think Goodfellas. I'd say Goodfellas. I think what happened was when I was um, running the clubs, 
obviously you meet lots of um, unsavoury characters. And, um, I, I, you know, when I watched that film, it was actually quite funny because I'd actually been to New York and Vegas and, you know, L.A. and Italy and a bit, it's sort of been around those those sort of people. And uh, what was actually quite funny is when you watch that, I mean, you know, that was how it was. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and and uh, you know, I think when I that was one of the one of the first gangster films I saw, and I loved. And and then, but but you know, as I said, then when I was doing the clubs and I was meeting these various characters, it, it did remind me of that movie. And I think every time I watch that movie, it takes me back to Vegas. It takes me back to New York. You know, and it's and it's just funny. You know, you just sort of uh, yeah, I like it. Last question for you: What is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure, um, I just like nice nice food and wine. So um, <laughs> if somebody said to me, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's, you know, what would you like to do tonight? It's sort of like, you know, let's go and just have an eight course meal. And, I, I'm, and I'm not into fine dining. So I don't want, um, you know, poached scallops with foie gras. And I, I'm not interested in that, but, you know, a, a, a sort of uh, either Italian or Spanish, the tapas, you know, where you've got lots and lots mm -hmm. of different dishes come in and you've got nice wine to go with it that that yeah that they are my guilty pleasures food and wine so yeah i'm, I'm with you on that give me some nice tacos or some uh paella any day and a, and a nice bottle of riocca and i'm sorted yeah. but that, it's been uh it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you terry um uh, but yeah. before i let you go if you could just remind everyone listening uh, how they can connect with you and how they can buy film coin or, or support the films yeah Okay, brilliant. So, um, yeah, so, so I'm on I'm on Instagram as Terry Stone Official. Um, I'm on Twitter as well and uh, Facebook. Um, I've just started doing a little bit of TikTok, which is just mainly you know stupid stuff, but um, funny nonetheless. <laughs> um, but um, anybody that wants to find out more about FilmCoin, you can go to the FilmCoin.io, which is our website, and uh, there's the white paper, the roadmap, what we're doing on there. And you can go on exchanges and buy it if you're into crypto. Um, and yeah, we are rolling out onto other exchanges. We are launching, as I said, this NFT platform. We, we haven't even started yet. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, over the next month and a half, two months, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot more activity around Filmcoin, around the NFT platform, around Tales from a Trap. So I think you, um, uh, you know, when, when uh, yeah, we've, we've had this conversation now. So I think as, you know, the weeks roll on, then, you know, all this stuff will start to become more apparent mm. and um you know we're looking to make the film you know sort of june july time so it will probably be out early summer next year um as i said we're gonna we're gonna release it as an nft so it's gonna be the first nft of the first film funded by crypto so um you know i'm sure a lot of people will want to watch the film anyway but i think for the people that don't want to watch the film they're going to definitely want to get an nft of the film so um be exciting yeah, it sounds amazing and I can't wait to see the finished thing. And Brilliant. thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me on it. I really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. it's been great. And uh, hopefully we find an excuse to get you back for a sequel sometime. Yeah. Well, no, we, we can talk about the, the huge success of uh, Tales from a Track well, with Filmcoin. E exactly. I'll, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll pencil it in now. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the Friday Film Club. I do hope you enjoyed it. And of course, you can listen back to all previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And remember as well to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Fry Film Club. We will, of course, post links to all of our guest info in the show notes. So look out for that as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.